Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome beautiful people. It's good to see your faces here on Sunday worshiping with us. We welcome you guys. If you guys are new, my name is uh, Tony. People call me PT here. I'm glad to have you guys. Uh, welcome to our worship. All right. Hey, we are in a, uh, we, we just finished a series, or at least, I'm sorry, the theme of our year actually for TLC, for True Love, is Rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth. A year of Christ-centered growth. We've talked about what that looks like in character change. You know, we talked about the idea of, hey, you know, we say we believe these things, but our lives don't actually play it out. What's the reason for that? Is it because we don't believe it or we believe it, but what's, what's the gap here? And, and the answer was the reason why your character has not changed, the reason why your life has been the same is because there is no discipline to take what God has spoken to you about and transfer that truth deep into your heart. To have that type of character change, it requires spiritual discipline. It requires you to get into this place of thinking about your mission, thinking about worship, community, discipleship, to take these truths and put it into your life where it begins to reflect in your life. We had an awesome retreat that kind of backed that up. It was like, okay, now, now what? Now what? Okay, now I know that, but now what? Now you got to be thinking about what's the next step that God has called you for. What is the next step of obedience of, in your life? Because ultimately, what we're trying to do here this year, church, friends, right, is we're trying to move people towards spiritual maturity and not just Sunday church goers, not just show up when it's convenient, not just whenever God suits my needs, we're, moving, we're trying to move people towards a journey of spiritual maturity. And so the, the question we wanted to ask during retreat is, what's the next step of your obedience? Because one area of spiritual maturity is obedience. The way you mature is, correlates to how often you obey the Word of God. In the last two weeks, I've talked about backing that kind of that story up, like, you know, do you know your call in life? Right? Obedience comes from understanding your call. And your call as a believer, your call as a person is to do what? It's to build people up into spiritual maturity. It's to build people up into the fullness of Christ. That includes your friends, your family, your disciples, your, your husband, your wife, your children. You are called into these things. What has God called you to do to build somebody, to build a group of people or somebody up in spiritual maturity? Do you know your call? And you, are you living out that call in an authentic way? Okay? Now, I want, I want to take a step back for the next 10 weeks as we go into the next series here. Okay? Because if I'm not too careful, if I'm not too careful, what's going to end up happening if you just took those 12 weeks and you just ran with it? If I'm not too careful, what's going to end up happening is that you're going to move into this year thinking, okay, next step, doing these things. Here's my checkoff list. Now I'm spiritually mature because I've obeyed, because I've moved forward. Okay? I want us to be careful because my heart for our church is spiritual maturity. And the reason why we're seeking for this, because after last year of COVID, or the last few years of COVID, what we saw was when suffering came, when difficulties came, when challenges came, we saw the true metal of the Christian life revealed in the life of the people in our community. And one of the things that our leaders kind of realized was that maybe what's missing, or probably the central piece that's missing, is this thing called spiritual maturity. We're not growing into maturity, okay? So one aspect, which is this past 12 weeks, was talking about spiritual maturity in growing obedience to God's word. So if you want to be spiritually mature, that's one thing you got to consider. There's no such thing. You cannot grow in maturity if you do not obey. You cannot grow into maturity if you do not obey the word of God. But if you only hold on to this, your Christian life will be a life of performance. You follow? And I don't want that. We don't want that. Because spiritual maturity is actually twofold. On one end, it is obedience to God's word. But you know what the other end is? It requires emotional healthy spirituality it requires you to be emotionally healthy spiritually and i know some of you guys are looking at me it's like pizza i'm not so sure you're qualified to preach on emotional health and you are not wrong you are not wrong on that right 
I am on this journey with you in learning this. And so as we go through this word of God together, I pray that we will grow in maturity together, right? This is something that Pastor Lynn, our head pastor, he was, um, he was really, three years ago when he initiated this thought, you know, I was like, all right, bro, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not into this whole emotional stuff. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. Just tell me what you want me to do. And he kept saying, no, 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 no. It's not about the doing. It's about the being, all right? So, all right, I am being. Now tell me what I got to do, right? It's, just, it's really like that, you know? But after those three years, though, what, I've, what I've learned and what I've really appreciated from our head pastor's um, um, this discipleship, right, Energy, uh, and mentoring was how important being emotionally healthy is, how important healthy spirituality is. It's um, emotionally healthy spirituality. It, it, it means growing in a state of drawing near to Jesus. Because you can do a lot of things for Jesus. You can take the step for Jesus. You can answer the call for Jesus, but it does not necessarily be, mean that you are doing it with God, right? Your relationship, you were made to be in relationship with God, not simply to get things done for God. It has to be two. You guys get that? For spiritual maturity to actually take its root into your life, for you to grow, there must be an obedience to God's word, but also a spiritually healthy emotional life that you are cultivating in your Christian walk. It is a state of being, not doing. And we've always, in, I mean, in, in our life, we, we kind of focus on the performance. We focus on the performance because that's what we've, we cultivate in our culture. The U.S. culture, it's all about performance. And so we take that and we add it into the church. This is good. You're supposed to grow by obedience, but this is right here. To have both at the same time is how you grow in spiritual maturity. You or yourself are called to analyze your heart. You yourself are called to grow in spiritual health. Let me tell you why. If we don't have both in our lives, you're going to end up imbalanced spiritually. You're going to end up having an unbelievable imbalance in your spirituality that looks something like the examples I'm about to give you guys, okay? So if I read, these are not like personal examples. I'm not drawing it from you guys. I just, there was a list. I just wrote it down, okay? These examples, see if, you, see if it matches you or anyone you know at the church, at least their characteristic. Again, if you're all, if you're all into the whole, I'm going to do work. I'm going to perform. I'm going to answer my call. But there is no emotional, spiritual health. There's an imbalance in your Christian life. So look some examples here. The board member who never says I was wrong or sorry. How many people you know like that? They know they're wrong, but they never say it. They'll never say I'm sorry. They're just kind of like, whatever, and they kind of push through. But they're leaders, mature. The children church leader who constantly criticizes others, right? Never find a fault in themselves, always finds critical issues with everybody else, but they're a church leader. The high-controlled small group leader who cannot tolerate different points of view. You're in my small group. This is the way it is. No other way around it. But they're what? Leaders. They're carrying out their job. They're answering their call. The middle-aged father of two kids who is secretly addicted to pornography. He's a father. He has a call in life. Raises children. Disciple them. But there's an imbalance there. Something's wrong. The 30-year-old husband who is busily serving the church, unaware of his wife's loneliness at home. But he's serving. But the home is in shams. The youth group leader, struggling with feelings, bitterness, and resentment towards the pastor, but afraid to say anything about it. Hunkers down. Rooted in anger and bitterness, being toxic in their lives. The exemplary servant who tirelessly volunteers in four different ministries rarely takes any personal time to take care of himself or herself. But a leader, nonetheless. The prayer leader who uses prayer meetings to escape from the painful reality of their marriage and their life. It's better to serve. I'm serving. I'm in this place. The people who shows up to small group without fail but are never transparent about their struggles or their difficulties. I come. I'm here. Right? The church leader who leads Sunday service um, faithfully and yet 
has a uh, living girlfriend or boyfriend with them in their homes. They may present themselves as spiritually mature. They know the word. They show up. They serve. They love God. They do their calling. They have characteristics of godliness, holiness. But there's some imbalance there. Emotionally, something is wrong. People are suffering around them. There is no flourishing happening. Their personal lives, their emotional lives, their inward lives, all over the place. Does this sound familiar to some of you guys? Does this sound familiar to you? I think so, right? They present themselves as mature, but the reality is they're still infants, children. They've been in Christ for 20 years, but it's not like they've grown every single year forward, they just repeated their infancy 20 years in a row. Met the Lord, great. I should be growing further, but just met the Lord again. Met the Lord again. Going backwards over and over. It looks like they're mature, but they're just 20 years of infants. Teenagers, emotionally, they demonstrate little ability to process anger, sadness, or hurt. They whine, complain, distance themselves, blame, use sarcasm when they don't get their way. These are all signs of emotionally unhealthy human beings. You guys get me? This, there are probably more emotionally healthy non-believers than probably believers. Because why? Because often in the church, often in the communities, we elevate the idea of call and work, but we forget the heart of being with Christ, drawing near to Christ, cultivating a, a healthy spirituality from within with Christ. These people, highly defensive to criticism, right, or differences of opinion. They expect others to do what? To take care of them. Listen to my needs. Listen to what I need, right? Do these things for me. Look at me, and often treat people as objects to meet their needs. You guys get me? And if I, if I can take a, just a gauge, I think a lot of us are emotionally unhealthy, right? We grew up in Asian families. That alone right there is foundational for emotionally unhealthy because what emotion is there, right? If you have, if you have emotionally healthy parents, you are a unicorn, okay? You are a unicorn. Otherwise, right, majority of us are emotionally unhealthy. And we turn to church, and what do we do? We think, like, well, if I do all these things, now I'm spiritually mature. Now I'm right with the Lord. Now everything is right. No. You can have all of these things, but your emotional health could be in shambles. What you need is the cultivation of both. Spiritual maturity takes the obedience of God's word with the emotional, healthy spirituality coming together. You gotta be filled with God's presence, with God's name, with him, before you go out and you serve in his name. You gotta be with God before you do things for God, right? It seems kind of obvious, but we miss that. We always do things for God, but we don't actually be with God. That's why Jesus was so right when he condemned the people in the last days. They come to him and he says, Jesus, did we not do all these things in your name? Prophesy in your name. Go to mission in your name. Serve in your name. Do we not answer the call in your name? And Jesus will look at them and says, I have never known you. I have never known you. You did all these things for me, but you were never with me. You never drew near me. You never sought me. You never desired me. You never spoke to me. You weren't in relationship with me. But you had the veneer of spirituality. For the next two months, I want to encourage us to practice emotional, healthy spirituality. Okay? As we go on this journey together. If you want to grow holistically in spiritual maturity, I, I encourage you not to miss the next two months. Because we're going to go through a lot of different topics. Understanding our emotional bent how your past shapes who you are today. And if you tell me my past, I'm free from my past, that's a, that's a lie. 
right? That's a 100% lie. You are the repetition of your past, right? You are the link to your past. Facing personal darkness, engaging in Sabbath rest rhythms, enlarging our souls through grief and loss, developing compassion, having a rule of life for emotional health. You guys get that? And this is the worst part of it because emotional healthy spirituality takes time, like a lot of time. When you are willing to be deep, when you're willing to slow down into the spirituality of being with Jesus, then what? Then your cups are filled. And from that filling flows the obedient life of ministry. But you got to slow it down. You got to be intentional. You got to focus. You got to be in this reality of relationship with Christ. That is our next two months. That is the heart of this coming series. And I pray, I pray that as a church, we don't just do a lot of things for God, but that we become a people that is with God and with being with him, we draw near to him to do what? To work for him. It has to be hand in hand, not one or the other. So let's talk today. I want to give you the overview today, which is this picture of intimacy. Why should we delight in intimacy with Jesus? Why should we celebrate intimacy with Jesus? Why should I be captivated in this relationship with Jesus? Right? All of us, I have no problems, Tony, doing stuff for Jesus. Right? I can build stuff. I can help people. I can show up to a Bible study. I can do these things for Jesus. But why should I celebrate and be intimate with Jesus? Why should I be captivated by this Jesus? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to go through the book of Songs of Solomon. If you have never read the Songs of Solomon, you are in for a treat, okay? Well, you should read it. I'm only, I'm, we're only going to go through the first chapter today, right? But the Songs of Solomon is, it's a, it's a song, it's actually really, it's really cool. It's, it's like three main characters, right? It's a, poetic, it's a poetic verse, but it's three main characters. It's, one character is the beloved, the maiden, right, who is in love. She is just so enthralled by her lover. That's the other guy, right? He doesn't speak much, but sometimes he shows up, right? But she's enthralled, he speaks, and then we have a third group, which is like the friends, Right, they're like the hype people. As she's like talking about it, the friends are hyping it up. Like, yeah, right? And the lover is responding to that. So it's this kind of like conversation. It's poetic. It's one of the raunchiest books in the Bible, right? There is some deep intimacy stuff right there. They go like really into that stuff, right? Into sexuality. What does that look like? Songs of Solomon is a great book in understanding the, the, the beauty of, of, of marriage, coming together as husband and wife, what that vulnerability, what that intimacy is supposed to look like. But the, the, the people who put Scripture together, the reason why Songs of Solomon was an important part of Scripture, why it was canon, because more than just the relationship of husband and wife, the Songs of Solomon was a picture of a relationship, it was a reflection of a relationship between God, the lover, and the church, the beloved, and the friends of the spiritual beings on the side right? Songs of Solomon can be read two ways. On one end, it can be read in terms of intimacy of relationship. If you want to spice up your, your, your marriage, read the Songs of Solomon, okay? It will, like, what, right? Like, if I read this to my wife, will she, like, love me? Probably, right? If you say some of these things, right? If you do some of these things, too, it's pretty epic, right? But I'm saying, but it has to be husband and wife, okay? okay don't, don't be like, oh, let's try this, baby, right? All right, so in that area, it's great for intimacy, it's great for connection, it's great for vulnerability, it's great to understand what the union, physical union of relationships should look like. But on the higher field of it, on the higher end of it, it talks about the relationship between God and his church, God and his beloved. See, if you read the Old Testament, you think God is all wrath, he's all judgment, he's all like vengeful, but you read the Songs of Solomon and you understand the Songs of Solomon in terms of relationship like that between God and us, all of a sudden you see this God who is just for you, who desires you, who lifts you, who elevates you. 
And my prayer as we read through this is we understand why we should celebrate intimacy with Jesus. All right, so open your Bibles to a Song of Songs or Songs of Solomon. Okay. Uh, we have these sermon notes and devotions. If you guys ever want to do devotions during the week and you guys think about it, you know, I want to kind of reflect on these things, I have my notes up there from this message. From the message, we also create some um, uh, things to pray about and discuss in your, uh, for yourself and then some action points that you can take, some prayer requests, a worship song that our worship team puts together to kind of reflect the whole uh, essence of the week. Right, and some prayer things that you guys can pray for for our church. But Songs of Solomon, you can definitely look at that to uh, kind of follow along. Right, so you know when to fall asleep and when to wake up, okay? So where are my points are at? Here we go. Songs of Solomon. Verse 1. So this is the beloved speaking first, okay? This is the bride. This is the maiden. This is the church. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. These are the friends now. These are like the, the hype men. We rejoice, yeah, and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And this is the lover. This is the beloved. Oh, this is the, the, the woman speaking again. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I. Yet lovely, O daughters of Israel, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tents of curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where, your rest, where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? And there's the friends again. If you do not know, let me tell you, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. All right? Let me share with you guys today why we should delight in the intimacy with Jesus. The first four verse, as the beloved is talking, she says this, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Friends are outside the chambers saying, we rejoice, delight in you. We will praise your name. Praise your love more than anything else. How right they are to adore you. Why should we delight in intimacy with Jesus? Why should we celebrate? Why should we be captivated by this intimacy? Because it is where we find true, intimate love. It is the place where you find true, intimate love. The beloved is saying what? Everything about you, the way you smell, the way you are, I want to be unbelievably vulnerable to you. Take me to your chambers. What do you think they're doing in the chambers? They're not looking at each other. They're getting naked, right? What are you doing? There's an intimacy here. There's a vulnerability here. There's a willingness from the maiden to say, I want to be vulnerable to you. Do you know what vulnerability looks like? Right? Vulnerability is, is, is this picture where you're not covering yourself up. Right? When Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They covered themselves. They couldn't let God see them. They were vulnerable. They, they, they wanted to hide themselves. Because no longer are they open to who God is and what he presents in them, what he, what, 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 um, he means to them. He, they wanted to build up walls and cover themselves with this, right? They put up these barriers for him. And in the same way, how do we create invulnerability towards each other? How do we separate one another? We put our clothes on, right? We, our clothes are there to kind of, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be naked. Right? In fact, that's just exposing too much. It's exposing too much of me. I can't let you see who I am. But that's just physical. How else do we put up walls? Our emotions. We put up emotional walls. We put up like character walls. We put up things around us to keep people at a distance from us. We're not willing to be vulnerable. We're not willing to be naked. We're not willing to be close. But yet the beloved here is saying what? In this relationship with my lover, in this relationship with my God, I am able to experience real intimate love. 
on this side of heaven, when you find a friend, when you find a person that you can actually be vulnerable with, whether it's in the church, whether it's your wife, your husband, that you can be completely vulnerable with emotionally, spiritually, physically, it begins this freedom of engaging and freedom of, of loving, freedom of being there, right? You're not afraid of what they think of you. There's intimacy in this relationship. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'll give you an example. You know when you first date someone, you, you, like what's the one thing you don't do when you date? You don't fart in front of them, right? You don't pass gas. Is that true? Like you're just kind of afraid. Like I don't want them to look at me. But what happens after you get a little bit more intimate? When you're a little bit more vulnerable, when mores are sharing, then you know that they're going to embrace you, that there's intimacy here, that they love you regardless, you just let it fly, right? And it's just, you don't care. You don't care. There's an openness. There's a freedom when intimacy is there. There's a freedom when there's intimate love. You see, why should we celebrate intimacy with Christ? Why should we desire intimacy with Jesus? Because it is in, only in this relationship that you first experience true intimacy. You know what? Jesus, this is not us doing it first. This is Jesus doing it first. Jesus tells us this picture. He's saying, I am your lover. You're my beloved. And here's the thing. I am vulnerable to you first. What is, what my, what's mine is yours. Everything I have is yours. My kingdom is your kingdom. I have nothing to hide. So don't hide from me. You see, we approach God not like that, don't we? We approach God as if he's like so hard to reach, so hard to grasp. But the whole time, Jesus and his relationship is coming to us. And he's saying, what's mine is yours. So why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? Why are you not speaking to me? Everything that I have done is for you, completely vulnerable. My body is your body. I have given you this life, so don't be afraid to give me yours. I have done it first. I have shown you, you can do that. You can, you can be vulnerable with me because I left myself completely bare for you. The God of heaven, the creator of all things, intimate, vulnerable with you. My righteousness is your righteousness. So stop pretending to be something you're not. Stop putting up all these walls. Stop carrying all these emotional baggage. Stop, stop holding on to them. Lay it down. In me, you can do that. In me, you can be real. In me, there's beauty and there's space for that. See, if you approach your God, if you approach Christ in any way but absolute vulnerability, let me tell you something. You've got the wrong picture of Jesus. That's not the Jesus that we believe in. The Jesus we believe in is not like put up your guards, make sure everything looks good, make sure your life is Christianese enough, make sure it looks holy enough. Jesus is saying, come to me as you are. Be willing to be intimate. Be willing to be naked. I'm for you. I'm not going to look at your vulnerability and say, mm-mm, I don't like that. Mm-mm, you got to change that. Jesus said, I died for that. So why don't you confess it? What makes Jesus most joyful is when you're willing to confess the things that he died for. That's what he did it for. You know, when, when, when you, uh, and I share this analogy, when you are, when some of the moms are cooking, beasts, a, a, a crate, like host of food, and they just want everyone to eat, because that's what they made it for. It's for everyone to eat. And then you show up, and they're like, oh, my goodness, you look hungry. Let me get you a bunch of food. And they make this huge plate, and they hand it to you, and he says, yeah, I, I ate already. Wait, you knew you were coming to a huge banquet, and you ate already? Yeah. They're like, it just breaks their heart. Like, Why would you do that? That's so silly. But then to the one who says, I'm hungry, hey, eat more. And it just makes them, it makes them so happy as they give you the food. They're like, Eat. That's what it's there for. Eat. You're hungry? Let me feed you. In the same way, Christ comes and says, you're broken? Great. Let me fill you. There are sins in your life that you can't let go of? Let it go. I've died for it. Take it. Let me have it. Embrace me. 
be naked before me. It is the only place that you can do it for real. Do you know why? Not because you have the power to do it, because he did it first. He did it first. So he says, look, I put myself out there. It's like the greatest love story. You know what this line is like? I put myself out there. Choice is yours now, right? All love story is Christ's story. I'm telling you, right? They just make it more cheesy, you know? Jesus Christ is the greatest love story. I, he literally, I have placed everything out here for you. Completely naked, completely vulnerable. Here I am. Be the same with me. Don't be scared. Give it to me. There's a, uh, there was a commercial by Dove, by Dove Soap. They did a worldwide survey, okay? As a woman, how would you categorize yourself, was the survey. To demonstrate the results, they set up a sign at the entrance of the building around the globe. At each location, one door was marked average, the other door was marked beautiful. And they would line women up and they would have them walk in and say, pick one, right? 96% of women, guess what they chose? Average, right? Average. They chose average. 4% chose beautiful, right? Some, as they walked in, they pondered it for a second. They want to say beautiful, but after they're like, nah, average, right? Do you know why? A big reason for that, as, as, as they found out, was some of them felt like if I chose beautiful, it seems like I'm being vain, right? And, they, and they're thinking by doing that, I'm being humble. But actually, by doing that, you're just drawing attention to yourself because you're trying to make yourself look like you're what? You're a humble person, right? I'm a humble person. I'm just average, right? You know you're beautiful, but you're, I'm just average. One woman from Shanghai picked average because she says, beautiful to me is too far out of reach. As children of God, he looks at you as you are. Jesus looks at you as you are. And his answer to you is, you are beautiful. You are absolutely beautiful. The apple of my eye. And yet somehow in our minds, somehow in our minds, we find ourselves thinking, nah, average. There's no spiritual confidence. There's no identity behind that. We don't realize that Jesus is inviting us into an intimate love with him intimate relationship with him. And so our natural response is, let's do what the world and the culture kind of tells us to do. And we're still covering up ourselves. We're still putting up walls. We're still trying to be emotionally distant from people. It's not vanity to acknowledge that God attributes to each of us beauty. It's not vanity to think these things. But it's only in Christ, when you are able to embrace him, can you begin to realize your worth and your beauty. Do you, you guys realize that? She understood her worth and her beauty. This woman, this beloved before Christ, she knew her love and her beauty. She says, I know that no matter who I am, I'm so enthralled with you. Because of who you are, I can be absolutely vulnerable. I can be absolutely naked before you. And I know that you will not judge me on that, that you will take me as I am. Think of a relationship that would do that. Think of a personal relationship that would do that. Most of the relationship we're in, broken as it is, will only do that when what? There's something in return. You gotta give me something first before I give you something. This is the one relationship that does what? I will give you this first. You make the decision. Why do we celebrate why should we celebrate intimacy with Jesus? Why should, our, why should we be captivated by that intimacy? It's because it is the only place where we begin to find true intimate love. All right? Here's the second thing. Why should we do that? Why should we celebrate? Why should we be captivated by relationship and intimacy with Jesus? Because it's where we are embraced with unconditional love. Look at verse 5 to 6. This is her describing ourselves. Dark am I. Dark am I, yet lovely. She knows she's lovely, but she's different. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. She's not even one of the girls in Jerusalem. 
She's, she's a different breed, different person, different ethnicity, different nationality. Not as fair skin as the daughters of Jerusalem. And yet she knows without, her, with, without a trace in her heart that she is lovely. She tells him, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. This is why I'm dark. This is why I'm like this. Because of all this work I've done. I'm not as fair-skinned as you. I'm not as beautiful. I wasn't born in the palace. I wasn't raised in a great condition. I was raised in the sun. I was raised on the streets. I was raised in difficult places. And yet I know I'm lovely. Why? Because my lover loves me unconditionally. There's something about the natural self. You know what we do? We always put on a false self. There's a reality of who we are inside, but we always put on a false self. We pretend to be something on the outside that we are not on the inside. We try to go through the motion, try to prove to everyone this is who we are, but on the inside, it's not like that. She, on the outside, matched the inside. Although on the outside, by any world standard, she's not performing well. She's skinned. She's probably wrinkled, sun-bleached, suntan. She had, probably has the sunburns all over her body. But guess what? She knows from the depth of her heart she is lovely. Not because of anyone's stand, but because her lover loves her unconditionally. And so why do we live our whole life focused on the outside? Why? We lack the integrity to be honest of who we are. You guys know this, right? Once you guys were on Facebook, sometimes, you know, maybe it's not so much anymore because everyone's moving off Facebook, right? But back in the days, right? When y'all was on Facebook, there are things you are on Facebook that I'm like, that's not who you really are in church Sundays. Like, so which one are you? Right? Is church Sunday who you really are? And Facebook is just kind of like a, 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 a glitch in the system? Or Facebook, who you really are, and then Sunday is the glitch in the system. There's a lack of integrity in your life. You're not honest. And why do we do that? It's the way we draw our worth, our success. It's the way we, we show the people, hey, approve of me. Look at me. The culture sets the agenda for your self-understanding. It comes out as what? Shallow spirituality. When you pretend to be something on the outside that you're not on the inside. That's the hardest thing. It's the hardest things among leaders. It's like, I just need to know what I see is what I get. In the U.S. history, in U.S. history, if you guys didn't know this, in the early 1900s, there was a, uh, there was a shift in the way people thought of life. In the early 1900s, there was a shift from the honor, honoring the personality of a character the integrity, the discipline of this person. You know what? I really like this person. Not because of what they look like on the outside, but because of their personality, of their character, their integrity. Where a handshake was enough, where the word is enough. The discipline of, you know what? They're going to get up. They're responsible. They're going to work. They might not like their job, but they're going to do it for the responsibility of raising their kid. I saw this one scene uh, with Denzel Washington and his son in this movie called Fences. You ever seen that? Right? Was oh, it fences? I'm not sure what it was. Right? It's fences, right? Yeah, fences. And this is the thing he yelled at his son about. He's like, why do you think you're in my house? And his son said, because you love me. Because I love you. Why do you think I go to work with all these people day in and day out? Right? Is it because you love me? No. It's not because I love you. Because it is my responsibility. It is my responsibility to feed our family. It is my responsibility to be a father. It is my responsibility to be a husband. There was a time in our nation where integrity was enough, discipline was enough, responsibility was enough, but then there's a shift. You know what the shift happened to? The shift happened like this, where it went from a personality of character to a culture of personality. To be bold, to be extroverted. It moved from inward being to outward perception. How do you view me? How do I want the world to see me? Right? Am I a good mother? Am I a good father? Right? Am I doing the things that make people say, wow, good job? Am I creating accolades? Translated today, it, what we've done is we turned 
our lives into a performance-based life. I am only accepted on how well I perform. I'm only accepted if I get people to, that I perceive to like me. And we create this facade on the outside and we deemed it wonderful because we are performing well. The metrics are up. I'm bringing in the numbers. Everything is working well. Things are going great. Church is expanding, right? Everything is working out. While on the inside, you're dying. While on the inside, you're dead and dying. And it's not just about performance too, it's about victimhood. Look at me, I'm a victim. Look how victimized I am. Woe is me, my, my situation, my problems, my stories. All of these things have become a culture of personality where we want people to see us a certain way, but on the inside, we're not growing. In Jesus, the Bible says we can delight in him because we are embraced without condition. Does that make sense? We're embraced without condition, meaning that you are loved by God unconditionally. As you are, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you are loved by God. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, though, the, this false sense, it's dangerous. It carries with us everywhere. Let's say, let's say for example, you, you were in the world, right? You, you were a non-believer, and you used to pride yourself. Your false sense was, I used to be able to drink everyone under the table, right? And you have the sense of like, yeah, how awesome is that? And you're, and you're like, that's my worth. Everyone thinks of me like, you know, I'm the you know, machine gun tank. I, I can drink as much as anyone, right? And I will drink them on the table every single time. And then say, so you got a change of heart. God saved my soul. Now you're in the church. And you think, oh, I'm a changed person. I love Jesus more. But if you're not care if you haven't dealt with that, it goes with you. Because that false self, it goes everywhere. Now, you're not saying, I can drink anyone under the table, because that would be the politically incorrect thing to say in the church, right? You would probably say something like this. I can out-pray everybody. I can out-fast. I can out-read. I can out-serve anyone under the table. It still becomes a performance base, a condition. In Christ, he loves us as we are, as he finds us. This is a song by uh, Maverick City, right? City, City Maverick, Maverick City, right? Uh, called Gyra. I think we sang a couple of times, right? And I love this line. It goes like this. I will never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. Such a simple line. Such a simple line. I can never be more loved than I am right now. Can you guys realize that about you? That you are never more loved by God than you are right now. He loves you as you are broken from the streets, sun-bleached, prone to addiction, habits of sin, vanity, needs for perfection, habitual realizations, all of these things. He says, you are my beloved. You are not, there, there can never be a moment where you are more loved than you are right now. You can't let me down. You were never holding me up. So why are you worried? See, in relationships, we're always worried. I'm gonna let this person down. I'm gonna let this guy down. I'm gonna let this person down. So I gotta perform. I gotta make sure everything is good. I gotta show up. Unless God's gonna be, unless God's gonna uh, be upset with me. Right there, that's emotionally unhealthy. And I'm not gonna lie. Oftentimes, as your pastor, I perpetuated that mindset. Instead of loving you guys and caring for your emotional needs, right? I care for whether you are moving. This, 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 this became a really big dawn in my heart with my son. I think I shared this story. I'm not sure. I shared it so many times. But I, I think I've shared it in my small groups, but... Seth, in school, he has this thing called dojo points. I, 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 I never had that in school, so I didn't know what that was. But there's this thing called dojo points where teachers kind of give you points if you do well in class that day, right? And depending on how, many, how well you did, you get more points, you know? And so Seth, you know, he usually brings home like three, four. I, mean, I, think, five, I think five is the max. Three, four, five. You know, he's like, Dad, I brought home dojo. I was like, cool, right? It's like, I got five. Cool. 
Then one day he came up, he was all quiet, he was in the car. I said, what's wrong? He said, nothing. I said, what's wrong? Don't, tell me what's wrong. Nothing, daddy. He said, what, what? Just tell me. I know something's wrong. Are you upset? I said, yes. What's the matter? I only have one dojo point today. I'm like, okay. Are you mad? I'm like, no. He said, you're mad, huh? I was like, no. You're mad, right? I'm like, why? He said, because I didn't get five or four. I'm like, what? Right? Like, what? So I thought to myself, when did I make him think that that's where my love is connected to his, 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 uh, his action? Then I looked at my life like, yeah. Yeah, that's probably he. Even if I never said that out loud to him, just, just the way I am, I think. Just, and, I, and I looked at that moment and I realized I am creating an emotionally unhealthy child, right? And if I'm doing this in my home, oh Lord, forgive me, I must be doing this in my church, right? Oh, repentance, which is like, Lord, forgive me. I told him, I was like, son, if you bring home negative dojo points, I will still love you. He says, yeah? He said, yeah. I was like, no, you're just saying that, right? But in my head, I was thinking, yeah, I think I'll be a little bit, I'll be a little bit upset, right? You probably negative, like, hmm, right? Like, let's talk about this. Why was it negative, you know? But I told him, like, no, even if you brought home negative dojo points, I would ask what happened. You know, if there's something about your character, I would have to walk you and fix it. But even if I walk you through and fixing it, my love for you will not change. You are my son, period. Nothing can change that. There's no moment in my life, in your life, for us together that you will ever not be my son. You understand that? I think so, right? And in the same way, God looks at you like that. We, we, we got this mentality where we're thinking, God, I have five dojo points today. You love me, right? I must be good with God. There are days you brought home like negative dojo points. You're like, I don't want to talk to him. God must hate me. And God's like, no. Something wrong, let's fix it. Let's deal with it. But I have never stopped loving you. My love for you has never been more than it is right now. Unconditional is that relationship. And it's in this church, it's in, it's in the relationship with Christ that you feel and embrace that. Do you know why his love for you is unconditional? It's not just because I just love you unconditionally. Because he chose to die for you. His love is unconditional. Because when you could not save yourself, when all the wrath, who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Not the Romans, not the Jews, not even us. God did. God the Father poured out his wrath on his son. Why? God the Father poured out his wrath on his only son. Why? Because that was the only way to bring you home. It was the only way for your sins that you've committed to be paid. You could not pay it yourself. Christ had to do it for you. He had to choose to do it for you. And God the Father himself laid the punishment on his son for you. That love is unconditional. And do you think if God was willing to go that far for you, all of a sudden you bring home negative dojo points, God's going to be like, now I'm going to hate you. I have poured out everything for you. My love for you is set. It will not change. So stop living a performance-based life with me. Get rid of that emotional, unhealthy mindset. Whatever your parents have taught you, get rid of that. Look at what I'm telling you. And here's the last thing, okay? Why do we celebrate intimacy with Jesus? Why do we celebrate intimacy with Jesus? Why are we captivated by this relationship? Why should we be captivated by this relationship with Jesus? Why should we work on our emotional health spiritually to grow in spirituality? Because it's where we can join him in his work. Verse 7 and 8. Tell me, this is, the, this is the beloved, this is the church, this is the woman, the maiden speaking. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Tell me, where are you? I want to be where you are at. I don't want to be amidst these strangers and these people that I don't know doing this work that 
I don't even know about, no, no purpose behind. I want to be where you are. I want to be where you're doing the work. I want to be next to you. I want to carry out your work with you. I want to have this purpose with you. And then the friends of the hypers were like, yo, yo, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. There you will find, there you will find your God. There you will find your lover. It's where we can join. And the interpretation of this, right, it's like, go. Go to where the people of God gather. Go to where the people of God is doing the work. And when the people of God is doing the work, there is where your lover, your father, is doing the work. You want to know where I'm doing the work? This is where it is, right? Work, for a lot of us, has been the sense of our worth and identity. It has not been, right? Once you get out of grad school, once you get out of college, you're thinking, I got to find work, I got to find work, I got to find work, as if that is the main priority of your life. The main priority for her was not about the work. The main priority was for her what? Where are you doing the work? Where are you grazing your flock? Where are you tending your sheep? That's the main priority, but we have taken work to make that our identity. We identify ourselves with our positions, our careers, what, 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 what degrees we have. What's the first thing you ask when you meet somebody new? What do you do, right? To do what? To kind of in, intrinsically Set them up into some sort of intrinsic hierarchy in your mind, right? Doctor, ooh, pretty high, right? I'm just moving around. Oh, okay. Kind of no man, right? We're just trying to figure out where we are with them. Isn't it true? In Jesus, we get the joy of joining him in his work. Why should we celebrate? Why should we be intimate with Jesus? It's because in him we find the first time purpose purpose to why you're here. You have real purpose. You're not just out in, the, in, the, in this kind of far off place trying to do your own thing, figuring things out, but you're with the lover who loves you unconditionally, who's vulnerable with you, and he's saying to you, come join me. I'm doing this work. Come be with me. Be with me in this thing. We join him as he shepherds. Our work becomes a place of shepherding. I'm here in the hospital too, Jesus says. Come join me. I'm here in the law firm too. Come join me. I'm here in this cubicle. Come join me. I'm here with all these people. Come join me. I'm doing my work here. Come and be a part of that. Don't be this person in the middle of nowhere doing the middle of nothing for nobody. It's in Jesus, this intimacy with Jesus, where you find purpose for each day of your life. Where you have something to talk about. See, when you get married, let me tell you guys about the real thing about you when you get married. When you get married, and if you guys don't have a call from God, you know the conversation of each day is going to be? What do you do today? Work. Right? Same thing I did yesterday. And if, if you work in the same place, that's game over. There's nothing to talk about. Right? You have nothing to talk about. When, you, when you're married and, and, and you don't have a call from God and you're not living out that call for each other, what ends up happening? You have no mission in your workplace. You have no, you have no purpose. So you kind of just come home and you just gripe about your workers. You gripe about the situations. And you kind of you just kind of be, um, you're just two griping person, just griping with each other, right? You become old and just doing this the rest of your life. But if you have purpose, if you join the father, the lover, in this mission, all of a sudden you come home and say, like, dude, today I talked, about, I, I talked with my colleague about this thing. It's amazing what God is doing, right? I, start, I started praying with this coworker of mine, right? She, she, she's having some struggles. We should pray with her together. Hey, I, I invited so-and-so over for dinner because they're going through some tough times right now. Like, I think we can help them or be a part of just living with them. Is that cool? All of a sudden, there's purpose in your life. You're not just talking about, hey, I can't wait for next vacation, right? Three more months, right? I can't wait, right? It's, oh, man, the blue seas are calling to me, right? That's all you're living for. So I can't wait till we actually can be together in these moments instead of working all the time. I'm not saying vacation is bad, but I'm saying it's in the intimacy with Christ that all of a sudden work has purpose. It has purpose because you're on a mission with what God is doing there. That's why... Even when you're single, you should be figuring out your calling. So when, you, when, you, when you're married together, you don't spend five, six years wasted trying to figure each other out and then realize we should do something more, right, than this. 
What's the next stage finally? But you just get off and say, let's just start going. Let's start moving where God is calling. Let's start living it out. Come join us. Enoch, right? Enoch, my son, he, uh, he helps me cook for the church. All right, whenever I, you know, like, small group's coming. You cooking, daddy? He's like, yeah, can I help? Right? In my head, I'm thinking what? <sighs> right? I can do this a lot faster if you're not here. I can do a whole lot faster if you're not here. I don't really need you, right? But here's the thing. I actually enjoy it when he does it with me. He comes in, he's like, I'm ready, daddy. I say, okay, can you crack the egg, you know? And I'm just saying that it takes like five minutes. So how many more, daddy? We got five more to go. <laughs> he's just, so I did it. He's like, so good, so good, right? Such a, do I need him? I, don't, I absolutely do not need him to help me, right? But he has joy in it. <laughs> He has joy in joining his father in doing this work. So after the small group's over, he's like, Daddy, was food good? It was great. Yeah. Right? Yesterday we were cleaning up the house. You know, we had a family ministry over, and after he was cleaning the house, he, I told him to go upstairs and grab some of the stuff from the staircase. He's coming down. His mom was like, you know, she's, she's tired. She's like, let's just clean up things really fast, right? She's running up, and she's trying to, like, say, give it to me. He's like, no, Daddy. No, 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 Mommy. Right? I got to go down. And it's like, he's like spilling it halfway. And she's like, hmm, right? And she's like, uh, right, what, why? And he's like, hey, because daddy's going to say good job, right? And he's like carrying it down. He's like, daddy? He's like, yes. He's like, daddy? Good job, you know, right? You know? There's, the father does not need us. But here's the thing. He allows for us to come because he knows that it will bring you joy. He knows that when you join him in his work, ultimately it is a blessing for you. More than it is for him, actually. You realize that? It, it, it will be an actual blessing for you that you don't even know that you need. But if you would step into it, you would realize, actually, this life is an amazing blessing. This life, God, that you have called me, it's an amazing blessing. What was I doing, wasting my time all these years, building up my 401 for? Here I am. In the midst of all this, it's an amazing, I'm helping you. I'm, I mean, I'm doing it imperfectly, but people's lives are changing. We're walking together. And God was like, I just want to let you know I can do this a lot faster, but I love you. I want to bring you alongside me because I know that you will have great joy. It's in the intimacy with Christ when we'll be able to join him in his work with purpose. This is why we celebrate this is why you need emotional, healthy spirituality, okay? If you, do not, if you do not draw close to Christ, if you're not with him, your, health, your spiritual health is going to decline. You may look on the outside spiritually mature, but on the inside, there is an imbalance in your spirituality. And over time, it will explode. You will have bitterness. You will have burnout. You will have hate. You will have people just upset, you will have the inability to find joy in your work, and the service to God becomes a duty instead of a love. All of that happens when there is a lack of spiritual health. And my hope and my prayer for you is that do not neglect the spiritual health of your life. You got to be filled if you're going to be sent out. If you guys have the heart to evangelize, you got to be filled before you go out to evangelize. You may evangelize and say, I, oh, I spoke to 20 people today. How awesome was that? Everyone would be like, wow, amazing. But if your spiritual life is a sham, there's unrepentant sin in your life, there's an imbalance. And ultimately, you pride yourself on all these things and you do not have a relationship with your God. And Jesus will say to you on that day, I never knew you. You did it for me, but you never were with me. So the question and the last conclusion is this. How do you delight in God? What do you need to do to cultivate? What's the, one of the few things you need to do first? Is, I'm going to talk about a lot of things in the next few weeks. But what's one of the things that you need to cultivate first to be able to delight in God? Right? And here's an even, even greater question. How do I delight in something telling me that I don't want to delight in? Right? So yeah, I know I'm supposed to delight in Jesus, but like, how do I delight in that when I don't really want to delight in that? 
There are some things, and I think we learned this from uh, Pastor Tim, when he said, there are some things you delight in that takes effort to delight in it. There are some things that you develop in delight where it takes effort to delight in it. When you trust that there's something good and beautiful about it and you step into it, eventually what happens is that it becomes beautiful to you. It takes effort to delight in it. All right? What do I mean by that? How many of you guys like bitter melon? Right? Bitter melon. I love bitter melon. Some of you guys were thinking, like, weirdo, right? Actually, I crave it sometimes. I actually crave it sometimes. But when I was growing up as a kid, I hated bitter melon. I hated it. But the, one, the only reason I kept eating it, you know why? Because my grandma kept saying, it's good for you. Right? It's good for you. You know, and I found out later on, it is good for you. Right? And then, but it's just, but I just kept eating it. I was just repetition. I just kept doing it, doing it, doing it, until eventually what happened? Actually delight in it, right? Like my wife would sometimes, you know, she'll bring home soup. She doesn't bring any other soup home. When she goes to the food to go, she'll bring home bitter melon soup for me because she knows that's the one soup I'll eat, right? And she's like, I don't know how you do that stuff, man, right? I love it. There are some things to delight in that takes effort. When you want to build emotional, spiritual health and you want to delight in Jesus, it's going to take effort. You know what the effort is for? To develop the uh, the intimacy with Jesus? A couple things. You got to practice a rhythm of Sabbath. We'll talk about a little bit more what that looks like, but we're going to practice the rhythm of rest. I'm not saying be lazy and rest for six days and work one day, okay? That's, you have a problem there, okay? But I'm talking about those people, those of y'all who just for some reason cannot Sit still, where you need seven days to get there, and you're always busy, always busy, always something coming on. You need to practice a rhythm of Sabbath. That's one way in which you begin to practice healthy spiritual intimacy, spiritual health. You need to increase your time to study the Word of God. You're like, mm, that's, mm. I was okay with the rest part. I'm not sure about the study of the Word part. Like I told you, there are things to delight in that's going to take effort. You got to increase the study of the Word of God in your life. Slowly, piece by piece, you got to be a part of a healthy community or in a mentoring relationship where you can actually share what's going on to your salt leaders. We can actually share to your brothers and your sisters. You have to cultivate a relationship like that. Are you part of a group like that? Or you just kind of like, I'm all to myself. No need for vulnerability here. No need to share. You need to practice silence and solitude. Hey, if you look at the Devo, I, I, I do a whole entire setup of how that looks like to be silent and solitude. One, one of the things you can do as a practice there, you can practice this week, but there's a practice of silence and solitude. Being with, the whole point of it is you, if you want to grow emotionally healthy, you have to be with the Lord. You have to draw near him. And these disciplines help you draw near him. Being in a community, being able to share with your community. And this is, I'm not saying you're going to show up to your community and say, here I am, right? Everything. No, you're going to be there. You're going to build relationship. You're going to cultivate these relationships. You're going to cultivate these trusts. And then you're going to share. You're going to be able to break down bonds with each other. Break down the walls with one another. It takes time. But it takes a community to help draw that out of you. You got to read the word of God. You can't know what God is telling you if you don't open the word of God. So I'm just going to live off of like, you know, Sunday sermon. 40 minutes, 50 minutes a week is not going to do anything for your spirituality and your health. Practice of silence and solitude. Being quiet. Take your phones away. In that silence and solitude, you're going to realize, if you really practice it well, you're going to realize how angry you are sometimes, how your mind drifts towards like being mad at people, how your, how, how your thoughts are always, you're going to realize all of these things that's going on in your heart. And in that silence and your solitude, you're supposed to captivate and cultivate those things and like, draw it to the Lord. There's a drawing near to God. You guys get me? These are spiritual disciplines that you need to engage in if you want to do this, if you want to draw near. Mother Teresa, one of the practices of her, um, of her organization among all of the nuns, it's three hours of prayer. You guys know that? One hour in the morning, 
one hour lunch, one hour dinner time. Three hours with the Lord in a day. And after, it's only after you have cultivated that time with the Lord, dealing with what's going on inside, then you go off and go and serve the poor, the lepers, and those in need. The health must be there for the work to be done. If you do not have both, you are imbalancing your Christian life. And there is real damage to your life, to the life of those around you. But here's the beautiful thing. If you are balanced, you bring flourishing to everyone around you. You bring flourishing to your group, to your family, to your church, to your workplace. You are a person that blesses. So my prayer for you guys is this. Please, let's start this journey together where we're dealing with not just what we need to do. We know that. We know this. Let's hold on to that. Let's keep that. But let's, let's empower our hearts by drawing near to the Lord, building this intimacy with Christ, so that in that intimacy, in that overflow of that cup, and that connection with God, we begin to do what? Go off and serve and do the things of God. All right? Let's pray.